The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Hey, hey, welcome again. Disability Law Show. So good to have you along with us for the next hour. Tamar Agopian is here. Partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin. LLP, they are the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. To reach out, you can anytime. Tomorrow's got an amazing team. Just to want to give them a call, have a chat, uh, get educated, learn something. You have some questions, it's easy. one 821 5900 would be the number. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the, uh, the email address. And another place that is free for you to ask any questions anytime. Lots of learning to be done. In fact, you can look at other questions that have been asked and answered. Maybe you'll get your answer there. If not, leave your question on this website, mydisabilityquestions.com. Lots of that, and I'll, I'll repeat those throughout the hour. But uh, tomorrow, let's uh, let's get going. We've got a bunch of emails already coming through, but I know you got a couple things off the hop you want to discuss. What's, uh, what's going on with you, pal? Yeah, so it's been another really busy week, of course, John, and a lot of the week gets taken up obviously with doing the free consultations that we talk to individuals about on our shows. Uh, lots of conversations we have with individuals who are going through different issues. And of those issues, I want to touch on a couple at the top of our show. One that I seem to talk about a lot, but I think it's still one that's important to get out. And that's when you're in a situation where the insurance company is refusing to work with you on a graduated return to work plan. So where did, when does this come up? Typically, and in the person that I spoke with, this is, this was her situation. She, you know, was, was as a nurse at one of the big hospitals in the city. And she, you know, had some health issues, uh, both physical and some mental health issues. And she had to take a disability leave fully supported by her doctors and actually, she didn't have a lot of trouble with the insurance company initially getting approved for her claim. And so they supported her for a period of time. And then inevitably, as they do, had determined, look, we think that you're ready to get back to work. Mm-hmm. Now, her doctors don't agree with this, though. Her, her primary doctor actually has said to the insurance company, look, I'm okay to have her make an attempt. Let's do it on a trial basis, but I'm not entirely certain that she's going to be able to sustain all of her duties, all of her work duties. So it was kind of like a green light for her to go back, but with all these sort of caveats and conditions, insurance company didn't hear the caveats and conditions. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. And they set up this fairly aggressive return to work plan. They coordinated it with her employer she had very little input in it, and she basically had to just show up to work, you know, in a, in a two-week window. And so she started. So she starts the work. And and I give her a lot of credit. She was fully cooperative. She didn't resist any of these efforts. You know, she was just like, okay, I guess this is what needs to happen. And, of course, she tells me, because I knew, tomorrow that if I didn't do this, they were going to cut off my benefits, right? Yep. So this is yep. what they always leverage, which is frustrating. So anyway, she starts off the plan. And not surprisingly, she's not able to increase the hours and days pursuant to the plan, this aggressive plan that the insurance company had put in place. So she does what I absolutely recommend everyone do, which is go back to your own doctor, engage them again, and have a real review around what your symptoms are and whether this return to work plan makes sense. And so the doctor, of course, prepares a medical note and says, this is not going as planned. You know, she really needs a lot more time. 
the graduated part needs to be extended. It needs to be a lot slower than what you guys had initially anticipated. And, you know, the insurance company says, no, nope, <laughs> we don't care. Wow. We're, we're, we're ignoring the doctor completely. And so, you know, she's very, very frustrated, not sure what to do. So she goes to her employer directly and says, look, employer, my doctor hasn't recommended this. And this is where I'm at right now. You know, insurance company is resisting the extension. You know, obviously, you know, I, I'm financially in a tough spot because I'm not going to get sort of the, the top up pay payments that the insurance sure. company would make. Mm -hmm. And of course, I can't increase my hours and get income from my employment. And what does the employer do? The employer says, you know what, we think you should stop working altogether. This is a problem with you and the insurance company. We actually don't want to have you back uh, until you sort this out with the insurance company. Wow. So, you know, inevitably she calls us. Of course, I spent a lot of time talking her through with her and her husband about what her different options are. So here are the takeaways. And number one, you know, the insurance company can't force you back at work. Okay. You really do need to listen to your doctors on this issue because if you go back too soon, if it's too aggressive, you're just going to put more harm on your body and stress on your body. And you're going to find yourself potentially back to, to starting point, which is the incapacity to work. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to have that major setback because yes, there are recurrence provisions in these policies, but once the insurance company has an opportunity to cut you off, they're going to have a really hard time putting you back on, which is exactly what this poor woman has experienced. Okay. And so you really want to make sure that you're following medical advice so that you're, you're doing it on a basis that it's going to actually be successful for you. Number two, also really important, your employer does have a duty to work with you through this process. And it's the duty to accommodate, John. And look, you know, our employment lawyer friends will tell us there's no hard and fast rules necessarily on how that duty is, is dispensed. But most certainly the starting point is to cooperate with you. The answer can't be just to say no and close the door. That's not the right answer, John. So, yeah. you know, I've explained this to her, of course. I think the starting point, again, is to try and engage the doctor once more to provide some more clear information around the limitations, around what needs to be put in place and the recommendations around this graduated return to work. And I think to knock on the door again, both to the insurance company and to the employer to do what they are supposed to do, John, which is to try and help people get back to work. You know, we don't want our clients to have to fight the insurance company or frankly, their employer. We, we work in both areas. We don't want that scenario to happen if they don't have to go down that path. But most certainly, if neither the insurance company or the employer is doing right by you, that gives rise to claims. That gives rise to legal claims, John. And, and we're not going to shy away from those claims. But if I can provide some, some advice, I do that for free and consult with individuals to see if that can put them on the right path. Great. And if and I said quite plainly to the person I spoke with, look, if this doesn't go in the way that it should, um, your very next call is going to be with me. And then we're going to explore actually, you know, who the target is in terms of a Love legal it. claim to get you the compensation that you deserve. And to reach out if you have a similar story or something that's uh, you know just causing you as much aggravation, don't don't hesitate to reach out and talk to Tamar anytime. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred help at disabilityrights.ca. What's the uh, what's the second thing you want to talk about? Yeah, so I had a couple of consults with two individuals who were both unionized. And so I thought, you know what, we haven't talked about this issue in a while. And no. so maybe it would have been a good starting point for us. And it, the key takeaway, of course, being that just because you're unionized doesn't mean that you can't hire a lawyer and help 
you know, help allow us to help you to assert a legal claim, even if you've got a unionized status. But it's it's a complicated area in the law in the sense that there have been Ontario courts that have commented on certain unionized individuals not being able to assert their rights for disability benefits in the context of a legal claim. And so most people think, well, gosh, I'm unionized. I guess I can't. And I, and I know, John, that there's other firms who won't take unionized individuals on as disability clients. We are not one of those firms. We're happy to talk this through with you. And most especially, take a look at your collective bargaining agreement. That's really where it comes down to is so most individuals who are unionized will have this agreement in place. The agreement is between their employer and it's it basically sets out what their employment terms and conditions are. And it usually will include a section around what they get in terms of benefits, including long-term disability benefits. And so some collective bargaining agreements will say, if you have a dispute over your entitlement to long-term disability, so if you get cut off, for example, you need to go through the union's process to assert your rights to those benefits. In other words, you have to go through a grievance and potentially an arbitration, all with the help of the union in order to bring your employer, the union, and the disability insurer to the table to determine whether or not, in fact, you remain totally disabled and entitled to the disability benefits. But that is a very small group of people, John. Most collective bargaining agreements either don't mandate what the dispute process is, or in fact will say, you know what, your your recourse is with the disability insurer. And so lawyers like myself, along with our team, can very quickly look through these collective agreements and identify whether this is an issue for you. Because if it is, I'm just going to say, look, you might want to talk to your union about your options. If it's not an issue, then away we go. Let's get retained and start the process through the legal realm, through the courts, because in our experience, this is the most effective and efficient way of dealing with disability claims. I can tell you, John, I have had unionized people who I've said, unfortunately, we can't assist you. Again, very small few. But of those few, they've said to me, Tamar, the process is still ongoing. It's like a year or two. It's very, very long to go through that union's process. And so most certainly... I don't want to have claimants having to go through that process. And I suspect, John, that most insurers don't want to have to go through that process either because it's not the same rules of the game, I would say. You know, we've got, as lawyers, rules of civil procedure. We understand how these disability litigations work. We know how they proceed and what those steps and stages are. And when you take it out of that realm, I can tell you even the in-house lawyers at these insurance companies don't really know how to manage claims like this. So I think most, in most cases, the stars will align where we can assist unionized individuals. But if this is sounding familiar and you're not sure, there's two things I suggest. Obviously, number one, give us a call. And then number two, talk to your union. You know, you might have a union rep who might be able to give you a quick answer. Either way, this is something that I think is solvable and shouldn't be a barrier to anyone who's looking for some advice around what to do with their disability claim if they're declined. Lots of good stuff to start off the show. We'll take a wee break, get into your emails now that I uh, I mentioned that, and that will be help at disabilityrights.ca. The phone number outside this hour you can use anytime as well, 1-855-821-5900. And always the option of the free and anonymous website, my 
disabilityquestions.com. That's for you to fill out as well at your leisure. We'll continue. More Disability Law Show is on the way. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. And welcome back. Thanks for hanging in there. Disability Law Show. Tamara Gopian is a partner. Sam Firu, Tamark, and LIP. They are the most positively reviewed law firm in the country. Proud to be part of that. Serving you, serving your friends, your family members, your colleagues. Anytime you need to reach out, Disability Law Matters. Dealing with an insurance company, giving you all kinds of agita. Don't uh, don't sit back and just take it. You need some advice. You need to have a chat. You need somebody in your corner for sure. Tamara and her team can do so. one 821 5900 Just picking up the phone will cost you nothing just to get your bearings right. Or you write into this show all the time through email, help at disabilityrights.ca, which is uh, where we're going to go now uh, tomorrow. Avila is our first email of the show. Yep, she says, uh, we are, hi, tomorrow I was on disability for almost two years. I was restructured out of my job while I was off. I still felt pressured by the insurance company to get back to work because I knew my claim would be cut off eventually. I managed to find another job through a friend and started working, but I'm still struggling with the same health issues as before. I didn't disclose this to the insurance company initially or about the small severance I got. Now they're asking for a bunch of information and saying I need to repay some of my LTD benefits. I don't know if any of this is right, but I do know I can't keep working. Do I have any options? This is a tough one, Avila. This is a really tough one because she says to us that she didn't disclose all of this to the insurance company. This is where my brain went right away, John. And it's unfortunate because, you know, you've got to be open and honest with the insurance company at every step and stage. Because I can tell you, even if you think it's inadvertent, they will make a mountain out of a molehill around whether or not you're being, you know, forthright and honest with them through the adjudication process. And so I suspect with Avila, it wasn't that it was something intentional, but then again, I think it may just by virtue of that fact, make it difficult for her to do what she probably is entitled to do, which is continue her disability claim, John, right? So we even talked about this at the top of the show is that if you rush back to work, if you succumb to that pressure from the insurance company to return back and you're not successful in that return, whether it's to your own occupation or a similar occupation in a different company, either way, there is still the opportunity for a recurrence claim. If you're within usually three or to six months of a prior disability claim. So let's put that into context with Avila. She said she was on claim for close to two years. She decided to return back to work probably at the end of the own occupation period of the policy. Sounds like she found herself a different job and yet is still struggling with performing the duties of her own occupation. And so the recurrence clause in her disability policy will likely say, if you have a resurgence, a a renewed uh, incapacity to continue working, then you can activate this part of our policy and you don't have to reapply for disability benefits Essentially, we're just going to put you back on claim if we're satisfied from a medical perspective that, in fact, you are unable to work right now. But there's some complicating factors with that, obviously, John, which is once the insurance company gets you off, they are going to resist having you back. You have these elements of her, you know, Avila starting a different job with a different employer. 
And some recurrence clauses will say, if it's a different employer, you actually don't get access to the recurrence clause. Wow. It's only tied to the same employment. Yes, very technical stuff, very technical stuff. But ultimately, you know, if you're in that situation, then you might want to think about having a further discussion with your doctors around, look, what is my capacity to work? Because it certainly sounds like she was supported for being disabled from working at her own occupation. And if she's gone off and received more own occupation uh, jobs or uh, job support, and she's still not able to do that, I got to be thinking hard around whether or not that's something that's sustainable. Um, by the same token, I wanted to comment on what happens with the severance component. Yeah. She said she got a bit of a severance, right, John? Yeah. So on that part, the disability policy will have a section that says, this is what we will pay. This is your LTD benefit. This It's usually about two thirds of what you were making uh, as a salary. And we will start to pay that on a month to month basis, provided we are uh, you know, accepting that you're meeting our test for disability. However, there's also, you know, subparagraphs to that paragraph, usually in the policy that says, but if you get other sources of income, then we get to deduct them from what we're paying you for LTD. The one we most often talk about is CPP disability, and a close second is any severance. And the courts have said that if it's not clearly stated that the insurance company actually doesn't get a deduction for the severance, John. So, you know, you really do want to see what your policy says about this and how the monies that came from the end of your employment, how that was characterized. Was it vacation pay? Was it actually severance? What, what was it that you were paid when your, your employment ended? Uh, because the policy itself, if it's not clear, then I would be saying, well, look, insurance company, you actually don't get that deduction. Okay, so don't cough up the deduction just because they say it. You really do want to do a little bit of due diligence on that aspect of it. Uh, but also be mindful that as a claimant on disability, you also have an obligation to be forthright with any sources of income that you receive. So the insurance company has a duty to you to be transparent and adjudicate your, your claim fairly. But you too, as a claimant, have that same obligation to be transparent and open with the insurance company. And this is what I was saying off the top is that it can complicate things a little bit for Avila that this wasn't fully disclosed from the beginning. She unfortunately will need to cooperate with the insurance company's current efforts. She's saying they want more information and so on. She should supply that information, unfortunately, but also ensure that she's got a copy of the policy and certain that in fact, the insurance company gets these credits. I think the last thing I'll see in her situation, and I'm sort of going on a little bit is because you know, I am a little concerned about her actually securing a different job with a different employer. You know, the fact that she's, um, you know, getting a different job will mean that she may have access to a new disability plan, new, new extended health care and so on and so forth. But be mindful as a disability claimant that in that first year of a new job and new coverage with a new disability insurer, you will be subject to a pre-existing condition clause. So just be aware that it may be a hold essentially for you to be able to access a different disability policy in that first year of work. Now, we've actually had some emails go around at the firm recently. Our team was talking about different pre-existing condition clauses. And in fact, no two are the same, John. So again, you do really want to see what that clause says. But if you're starting a new job and you've got a history of disability components, just be mindful of the fact that you may be foreclosed from being able to access disability benefits in that first year of coverage or that first year of work 
in that new job. And with that, you can always call one 821 5900 Let me ask you this, though. I mean, it, it goes along with, you know, everything inside that contract. You're bound by the contract. So when you speak yeah. with people about their claims, what advice do you give most often, other than be upfront and open with the, with the insurance company to avoid future hassle, right? Absolutely, John. And so, yeah, you know what? The, seeing the policy for sure is one that I talk about a lot, especially when you've got technical issues that come up in your disability claim. But generally speaking, the the test to qualify is actually the same for most disability policies. So, you know, the sort of quote unquote run of the mill, you know, being declined for not being totally disabled, that sort of thing. The primary advice I give really is get some medical information. What what do your doctors say? You know, what is your primary treating practitioner saying, your physiotherapist, chiropractor, and so on? You know, that is really the conversation I have most often with people that I speak with, because oftentimes there's a bit of a disconnect, you know, they'll, they'll say to me, but tomorrow I'm struggling with this X, Y, and Z condition. You know, how is it that the insurance company doesn't accept that I meet their test of total disability? You're right. You're, you're absolutely right. Most people I speak with, I'm like, yep, you're, it's pretty clear from what you're describing that you can't work given your conditions. So what's missing? What's the missing yeah. link? And usually it's the medical information. And, and I know <laughs> Savannah says this all the time, you know, it can't be just on a napkin, right? It can't just be written out on a piece of napkin or whatever it is that he uses as his, his example. And it's true. You really do want to talk to your doctors about putting together some substantial medical information. You know, my bee in my bonnet, John, is the forms. Insurance companies <laughs> love forms. Even employers love forms. They send you like nine page forms for your doctor to complete. Well, what do you think the doctor's going to do? They're going to write one or two things, check off the boxes, and then submit that right back to you. That doesn't give the context of what's happened to most patients who are on in the process of either claiming disability or being on claim. And so having a few paragraphs together, having the doctor comment on treatment, prognosis, diagnosis, where you're at, this has been a journey for the last three years, you know, this kind of thing, very, very compelling stuff. And most insurance adjusters will actually prefer the information coming from the from the doctor than they do from the claimant, right? So that makes sure. it even harder, right? Because you're going to say, well, tomorrow, but I, I told the, the adjuster all of these things, all my troubles. And yet, you know, they seem to be disregarding it. I'm like, I know this is what they do because they're looking for that medical information. That's what they've been trained to do is to check off those boxes. So supply that information. We've actually got a really helpful memo on our website. I think it's the uh, ltdfaq.com. Eh? John, John will tell CA. you the contact. Yep. Yep. .ca. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a memo there that I think is super helpful on doctor's reports. Check it out. There's actually a bunch of different memos as well on some different top- topics, including how to deal with difficult adjusters, you know, how to request a copy of your policy. Really helpful resources. But the conclusion being that most often that memo on doctor's reports is the one that I refer to most often in our consultations. Yeah, Tamar nailed it. That's where you want to go. Really easy to navigate as well. LTDFAQ.ca is uh, where you'll find those memos on not only that, but all kinds of other stuff as well. It's really it's really free and easy information to uh, to absorb. Anyway, uh, I want to get to Richard here. We'll get to at least start reading this email and continue on from there. He says, I injured my back a few years ago and my knees have been troublesome. 
I need a knee replacement surgery since my work is pretty physical. My employer put a temporary accommodation in place to allow me more time to work. I did that for a while, but my doctor said I was doing too much harm to my body. So he recommended that I apply for disability benefits. The problem is that the insurance company rejected my short-term claim, saying I can keep working with accommodation. Is the insurance company right to reject my claim? Well, no, I don't think so. (laughs) I mean, look, I I think that there's a couple of things that come up from Richard's email. So he says, you know, he does a physical job. You know, his employer put a temporary accommodation in place. And although he was doing that for a while, he was still, you know, not able to continue. And his doctor recommended that he stop working and apply for benefits. And the trouble becomes, again, much like what I was talking about at the top of the show, the disability insurer, the employer's knee-jerk reaction is to say, go disability. Disability will say, go back to the employer for accommodation. I think in Richard's situation, though, it's not that simple because you do have a doctor that's supporting total disability in the face of his own effort to actually continue working. I give individuals a lot of credit. I give Richard a lot of credit. You know, he's tried to do all that he can. And even with accommodation, his doctor is saying you cannot continue. That to me screams, I am totally disabled from my own occupation. That's the test to qualify, John. So I don't think the insurance company is right to reject his claim. Actually, I'd want to actually know more information on what the extent of the accommodation was, because if it's not even a permanent accommodation, even something that can that Richard can continue to do, because most employers will say, look, we'll do it you know, temporarily, then it's not realistic for the disability insurer to revert him back to his employment when that was already attempted, it was not successful, and you have a doctor supporting total disability. That claim should be approved, Richard. So I'm sort of thinking this might be a good one for a legal claim, John. And Richard, you know the email address. You just use it, but I'll give you the phone number as we get to a quick break here. That would be one 821 5900 My friend, you can reach out to tomorrow and your team anytime and uh, go forward from there. Short break. We'll get to Vishan's email here in just a bit and more uh, more stuff as well. As I mentioned, one 821 5900 The number anytime and help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is the Disability Law Show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back. This is the Disability Law Show. Thank you uh, so much for tuning in. If you want to go to disabilityrights.ca, the website, you'll see the media tab and a chance for you to watch our uh, long-running television show of the same nature, Disability Law Show. Again, you go there to find a station near you. And uh, actually, I think you can follow episodes uh, right on the website as well. Failing that, reach out anytime to Tamar and her team. Tamar, a partner, of course, with Sam Firu, Tamar, and LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in this wonderful country of ours. How do you do it? No problem. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. And Vishan promised, as, uh, as we did before the break tomorrow, to get to Vishan's email. Uh, reading as follows, says, I applied for disability benefits last year based on physical issues as well as anxiety. The insurance company took forever to review my documents while they were doing their review. 
I asked my adjuster if she needed my psychologist's records, but she told me no, that they had enough medical documents already. Last week, I finally got the insurance company's decision, and I got denied. In their letter, they told me they were basing their denial in part on the opinion of their psychiatric medical consultant. I'm so angry. It's so unfair of them to tell me not to submit medical documents about my health, my mental health, and then deny me and what their psychiatrist says, who has never, ever met me. What do I do? I share your anger, Vasham. I share your anger because I see this so often. John, I'm in the middle of preparing another mediation memo, client with a very similar physical and mental health components to her claim. Mm -hmm. And the insurance company did a paper review and simply ignored her own doctor's medical information about her inability to work. Vashan, I can tell you, same thing as I said to my own client, the courts will not stand for this, okay? They, they are not going to accept the insurance company's doctor's review over what your own medical is saying about your ability to work. And let me be even clearer, total disability is established by virtue of a sickness or an illness. That sickness or illness can be physical, it could be a mental health condition, it could be some combination of the two, it could have cognitive impacts, emotional impacts. At the end of the day, if you put together those symptoms and health issues, and those health issues prevent you from working, the disability insurer needs to step up. That's what they're there for. They're supposed to pay disability benefits. It's supposed to be a peace of mind policy, John. So it's frustrating that this keeps happening time and time again. The insurance companies know what I know, which is that, sure, they have to do some sort of a medical review, but if they don't even bother talking to Vishan's doctors, if they don't even bother meeting Vishan or having the doctors meet with Vishan, then they have a really hard time justifying closing a claim. What's even worse in Vishan's situation is that they, they ignored the fact that he said, yeah, need more medical on my mental health conditions. They said, no, 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 that's okay. We don't need to look at that. And yet they issue a decline on the basis of what their own doctor had assessed on the mental health component. That's a, that's a cardinal sin in disability law. The insurance company cannot ignore information. They have to deal with it. And they can't be, be willfully blind to it either, John. It's not appropriate for them to say, oh, okay, you know what? You're, we're not going to take in this medical information so that we don't have to consider the medical information, right? You can't close your eyes to the medical information if it's there. And so, you know, what does, what does Vishan do? I do think supplying that information to the insurance company in his limited situation may make some sense. I'm very, very reluctant to suggest to people that they go down the road of an appeal. We talk about this a lot, John. This is a process that's conceived of by the insurance companies. There's no checks and balances to it. You know, they get to dictate the timelines. They get to basically have the same person review the same information. Yep. And ultimately, you know, they're going to draw the same conclusion. It's, it's sort of human nature. But when they have ignored information, then, you know, that makes it even more egregious, even more problematic. But if the insurance company doesn't have a complete picture, then by all means, you should be supplying that information. Just send it over to them. The insurance company is obligated to continue to review and adjudicate your claim, even if they've made a decision to say no. There's a very high likelihood they will say no again to Vishen, but then, you know, we'll a firm like us will be ready to go. We'll issue the legal claim. We'll start the process. And I can tell you that whatever in-house lawyers assigned to defend the claim, will see it as I see it, 
which is that there has been one error after another made in Vishan's adjudication of the claim. And the insurance company then is exposed to not only having to pay the disability benefits, but also potentially having a court censure what they've done. And that really attracts damages, John. So, so these are additional monies that courts will award against insurance companies when they haven't met their duty of good faith. And I think in situations like Vishan describes, this is why I share his anger and my passion over disability law because this is why and how we keep insurance companies honest in the process that they put individuals to, through, especially when they are so compromised in dealing with disability. Again, one 821 5900 to reach out to Tamar anytime, help at disabilityrights.ca. So at what point would an insurer decide to send someone for an in-person assessment? I mean, you know, COVID notwithstanding, but an in-person assessment versus getting a paper review and uh, I mean, who does these assessments? Are they uh, on par doctors with your own medical team or what? <laughs> They're not. And, and so, you know, when do they decide to do it? I think that I see it most often when it's coming close to the time that they have to make a decision on whether or not an individual is going to qualify for benefits yeah. beyond the, the, the own occupation period. Right, John? We see most claims being declined after that two-year mark. And most people don't realize that they actually are potentially entitled to benefits past that two-year mark. So what the insurance company will do is they will, at that stage, if the paper reviews are not strong enough or they you know, want to actually vet you uh, more carefully, they will spend money in doing an assessment, having you assessed in person with one of their own doctors. And it is one of their own doctors, John. It's not your own medical team, nobody that you've selected. It's essentially an expert, somebody that they pay for. And, you know, I can, you can only imagine <laughs> where that's going to head because obviously the insurance company is going to want a return on investment. So yes. it is somewhat, bi- you know, it's a somewhat biased process. And again, I've, I've written an article about this, how to prepare yourself for an in-person assessment. And I think that What's most important for in-person, if your insurance company is saying, look, you've got to go to what's called an IME, an independent medical examination, then you want to arm yourself with, you know, having your own doctor engaged, making sure you understand what's being assessed, making sure that you take your own notes and getting a copy of that report, either sent to you or to your doctor. So you can make sure that whatever's in there is actually accurate. Because so many of my clients tell me, John, that they attended, you know, it was either shorter than what was reported. Uh, you know, certain questions weren't even asked, certain tests weren't conducted, you know, the history is inaccurate, there's all these mistakes. And so if all these mistakes are contained in the report, and then the doctor renders these conclusions, then the insurance company relies on those conclusions. Guess what? That's a problem for the insurance company good for the claimant, or I guess someone like me fighting for the claimant's rights. But at the end of the day, if you want to prepare yourself, look, I'm going to an in-person assessment. These are the kinds of things that I always recommend to individuals is go in ready, be prepared. And uh, if there are issues, you want to identify those issues with the help of your own medical team. And with that, we'll take a short break. One more, and then we'll get back to uh, to more stuff, more emails as well. The number to reaching out to Tamar uh, anytime, not on the show even, one 821 5900 The website, mydisabilityquestions.com, is a great place for you, free and anonymous, to ask questions of the disability law nature. So use that anytime you would like. And there's always a good old-fashioned email, help at 
disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue. This is a disability law show. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. It's been a good hour. Always uh, always informative for sure and a chance anytime for you to reach out. Maybe your email will appear and be heard on the show. If not, it uh, it gets put in there and answered by Tamar's crew. No problem. Tamar reaching out to Tamar and her team. one 855 821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. Jenny, thank you for uh, taking the time today to write in. Jenny says, hey, tomorrow my husband was diagnosed with lung cancer June 2010. We had short-term, uh, short-term and now long-term disability benefits. He also receives CPP due to the spinal tumor and radiation. He is unable to work. Recently, the doctors found the cancer has returned to his neck. He has had radiation again. The claims manager from his insurance called to check on his progress and informed us that we can take a lump sum or continue to receive payments until September of this year, 2022, at which time he will be cut off. Is there anything we can do? Wow. I mean, this doesn't sound like a good situation for Jenny or her husband, and I'm very sympathetic about what he's going through, what she's going through. And, you know, look, at least I suppose the disability benefits have continued for some time, it sounds like. Having said that, she's saying to us, look, but they're they're cutting them off. And I got to wonder, you know, could it be that it's because her husband's turning 65, John, that... Right. Otherwise, I'm I'm very, very puzzled that they would suggest to them that there's a cutoff on the horizon, certainly on a medical basis, because if there's a recurrence of the cancer issues, certainly he's CPP approved, which means he's got a, you know, government recognizing that he's got a severe and prolonged disability. He's been on claim for some time now. I got to think maybe that's the issue. And so if you want to, I mean, first of all, Jenny should find out, is that what you're saying to the insurance company? Uh, don't guess, get them to put it in writing to you. You, They have to do that. So these phone calls that they make, that they advise you of certain things, not good enough. You got to put something in writing and at least have something confirmed because that keeps the insurance company honest, John, about their reasoning as to why benefits are ending. And if you are in a situation where it is an expiry of a policy, again, you want to be sure that you know that for certain. Most disability policies will only pay until you turn 65 years old. Mm -hmm. Some policies will say it's age 65 the month of. Some will say it's right ending the day you turn 65. Again, you want to understand exactly that time frame because some policies are different on the outside. And you want to make sure that you're not one of those policies because some are where they can extend benefits to age 70 or past age 65. There's a couple of policies I've seen, John, where you can do that, particularly if you've got a long claim, long duration claim, there's an option to extend. And so you want to canvas all of that before you go down the path of what the insurance company is suggesting here to Jenny and her husband, which is taking a lump sum settlement. I don't like that at all. I mean, look, most disability insurers will broach this kind of a lump sum settlement in situations where it's advantageous to them, right? Insurance yep. companies are profit-making entities. They're going to do the math like I do the math, and they're going to think, okay, if we can shave off a bit of money here, we're going to do this. We're going to broach it to them, give them some money up front, 
And it may seem like it's enough money, but then when you think about it, well, wait a minute, if benefits are supposed to continue past, I think she said to us September of 2022, then you're giving up benefits and you shouldn't have to do that just because the insurance company is trying to pressure you to take a lump sum settlement. So I'd be very, very weary about going down that path without first educating myself again with the policy, the information that you need, understanding from the insurance company why the benefits are being cut off. I think your only alternative is if in fact the benefits are going to end regardless. So it's not quite a cutoff, but actually that the policy ends because her husband's yeah. turning 65, then maybe you might want to get those funds up front. Um, you know, there might not be a lot of downside to accepting those funds ahead of time. And essentially it's a prepayment of the benefit that would have otherwise continued month over month. That seems to me make some sense to me. Um, you know, in that case, I would say, sure. But again, I wouldn't be so keen on signing anything in exchange for that payment. So they can prepay if they want to prepay, but I wouldn't want to sign what some insurers ask you to do with a lump sum settlement, which is to sign a release. So if they're, you know, broaching this kind of a lump sum settlement with you and they're not being transparent about the strings that come attached to that lump sum settlement, then you want to get some, some transparency around that. And, and, you know, some insurers will actually pay to have you get some legal advice, you know, an hour consultation with a lawyer, someone like me, someone from our team who can evaluate all of this, look at the policy, look at the wording, look at the lump sum and make recommendations to you around whether or not it makes sense in your particular circumstances. Easy as that. You know, you and your team resolve most cases for your clients in mediation because that's truly the quickest and best way for all parties, I guess. So what's involved with your clients through that process? How, uh, how, how deep are they into it? Yeah. So look, we try and make it as easy for our clients as possible. And so, you know, in the context of that, let me explain a little bit about what is a mediation, John. Mm -hmm. It's a non-binding settlement meeting. So the province has encouraged these kinds of negotiations. You know, the province is really focused on what we call ADR, alternative dispute resolution. You know, they do really don't want to see these claims before the courts day in and day out, if they are resolvable, or at least can be resolved when everybody puts their heads together and focuses on resolution. And that's really what mediation is meant to do. It's privileged. It's without prejudice meaning no judge is going to be, you know, breathing down our necks about what we discuss in the context of mediation. And in fact, it promotes sort of that compromise idea where we can work through these issues and really come to a conclusion as to whether or not it makes sense to resolve at that time. And as, as you said, most often we have a very, very high degree of success in settling our cases at mediation with our clients. And so what goes into that process? Well, I can tell you from my perspective, what we do, and we do this fairly consistently in our team is we will build a case. We will get all the medical information and relevant records that are required put, to put our best foot forward for mediation. I will prepare a fairly comprehensive brief. I will advocate on behalf of my clients. I submit that brief and I will have a fairly lengthy discussion with my clients. I have many actually, John, but one in particular that I do right before mediation I talk to them about the process and I talk to them really about what I think the insurance company might do, talk about the numbers and so on, and prepare them for that scenario. But that's really the extent of the engagement for my clients. In other words, I'm the one who's really running the show, so to speak. You know, I say to my clients, you know, you're not going to be in the hot seat. You don't have to answer a bunch of questions. I prepare a comprehensive brief for that reason so that I can dispel those questions being asked. We will work through issues and I will, you know, advocate as best as I can. And hopefully we get to a resolution at that point. 
But otherwise, I want my clients to focus on their health, John. That is why yeah. I'm involved to take away the stress of having to deal with the insurance company and give them a time frame in which we can most often achieve that resolution. And we've had a lot of good success in doing that within sort of 10 to 12 months of being retained. So much more we could talk about there, but we got to we got to fly. We are out of time for today's show, so we'll leave you with some contact information to get a hold of Tamar and her team at the firm. It is one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Don't hesitate just to pick up a phone for a uh, a simple conversation. That and the email help at disabilityrights.ca. Help at disabilityrights.ca, and then finally mydisabilityquestions.com. We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 640 Toronto.